You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Bible, people. You're going to need a Bible, something to write on, something to write with. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, um, and we're going to talk about um, we, we, um, we're going to talk about our new series. It starts today. It's going to go for today and the next two weeks. And I want to tell you about the house I grew up in, 1950s era house, brick ranch house, eight people and something like 1,500 square feet. Um, The biggest room was the kitchen, and the biggest piece of furniture in the biggest room was the kitchen table. My dad built that table out of wood that he scavenged from a baseball field. Our kitchen table was old wood built from bleachers. He made a long table out of it. He called it a bleacher wood table. (laughs) It was long enough for eight to 10 people to sit around it, and every night, that was supper time. Eight or 10 people, the eight of us, plus a couple of kids from the neighborhood, um, stuffed around the table, eating whatever my mother had cooked. Everybody talking and eating. Nobody could leave the table until my dad said you could leave the table. So that image of people around the table, that image is very familiar to me. That was my family, supper time, and that table was the centerpiece of my family's culture. And when I got married, it didn't change. I know I talk about not cooking, but actually, um, we kept having most of our meals around the table all of my daughter's growing up life, and we still do. We still eat most of our meals around the t- at the table, Steve and I. Who else here grew up eating your meals at the dinner table? M- a lot of folks in this room grew up eating your meals at the dinner table. That means that you really get a lot about what it means to live a biblical life. And in the Bible, the table has a lot of power. It tells us who we are and whose we are. Theologically, the table is what holds us together. It it tells our story, it builds community. And for all the things we've been able to shift online, the table is the one thing we cannot distant or do virtually. So it's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus chose a table as the place where he would unveil his highest purpose and the greatest event in the world, the, the moment that would create a whole new family. He chose a table because a table has a lot of power. A table holds people together. A table is where Jesus chose to tell the redemption story. He chose to tell a redemption story over a meal. And Luke, who wrote both Luke and Acts, picked up on that. He came back to that theme of the table and the meal over and over again. He noticed how often Jesus played with food and and how often he found himself at other people's tables. It seems to me that it was at all those tables, not just the Last Supper, Jesus showed up, he showed up at lots of tables and he shows us 
what it means to be in spiritual communion with each other. So that's what I wanna talk about today and for the next couple of Sundays, I wanna talk about the table and about communion and about sharing things and about sharing life and about what those who follow Jesus believe about the common life. And I'm calling this little three-part series of messages Common People. And I'm not calling you common people in the, you know, the, the unkind sense of that. I'm, I'm really calling you common people in the sense that we share a common life as people who follow Jesus. I wanna begin in Acts chapter two where the church is being birthed. When we get to the end of Acts chapter two, we've just heard Peter preach uh, the first evangelist, it's a powerful, evangelistic, really uh, apologetic sermon on the streets of Jerusalem and, and 3,000 people accept Jesus as their Messiah out of that message. In fact, um, you really should include chapter, uh, verse 41 in, in the whole reading of the last of, of Acts chapter two. Um, in, in, in verse 41 it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. That's where the last piece of chapter two begins. And then beginning in verse 42, it says what those 3,000 people began to do. And so beginning with verse 42, I want you to actually look up from your Bibles and we're gonna read this. This is something we're gonna do common. We're gonna do it together, okay? We're gonna read verses 42 through 47 together. And we're gonna read from a version, uh, it's, it's um, N.T. Wright, he's a scholar, a version that he interpreted because I kinda like the way he words it. So let's read this together, go. They all gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles and to the common life, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It all fell on everyone and many remarkable deeds and signs were performed by the apostles. All of those who believed came together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and divided them up to everyone who was in need. Day by day, they were all together attending the temple. They broke bread in their various houses and ate their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and standing in favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. So I keep listening to these six verses and mining them for all the good. I've listened to them over and over and over, over several weeks now, actually. And if I could boil them down to one word, this would be it, common. These followers of Jesus accepted a common life. So Luke, the writer, the same, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. He uses a lot of plurals in this scene. And in N.T. Wright's version of this scene, he uses words like they all gave full attention to the apostles' teaching and they gave full attention to the common life and all fell on all those who believed. They were all together. In the NIV, I want you to notice, if you're looking at the NIV, he uses the word together three times in six verses. That's a lot of repetition for six verses. When you hear the same word used over and over in that short of amount of space, you need to pay attention to it. 
So I learned from this that together is what best reflects the life of Jesus, who did his life with others, both in the temple and with friends. Together is how we care for one another. We need a community of people we are not paid to be with, who are not family, but our choice, who reflect our deeply held values so that I'm part of something bigger than myself and not just because, listen, not just because I'm paid to be part of it. I know we all say that our, you know, we all said, you know my work friends, my work friends, they're like family to me. My work is like family. But I wanna know, I want a show of hands, will you get up and go tomorrow morning if they stop paying you? Uh, I'm not, <laughs> that came really fast. <laughs> I might actually be the one person in this room and I wanna see Heather raise her hand too say that she would get up and come here tomorrow, even if we stopped paying her, but most of us wouldn't do it. We might like the people that we work with, but we're not gonna keep coming to work if they stop paying us. To accept Christ is to accept a common life. You should write that down. To accept Christ is to accept a common life. And the first followers give us a simple pattern for how to be together. Look at verse 42. They, they all gave full attention to the apostles, to the teaching of the apostles, and to the common life, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Or as it says in, in the NIV, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So I'm gonna assume that the apostles were teaching. What, what is the apostles teaching? I'm gonna assume the apostles were teaching what they were taught by Jesus. And Jesus was showing them a radical picture of grace and holiness in human form. Jesus was teaching them what he knew from the Old Testament scriptures, but he was reinterpreting it for them in terms of radical grace and holiness. So they were reinterpreting life through the lens of Jesus' radical worldview, and they were passing on what they'd learned. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is koinonia, the Greek word, that's the Greek word, and it's a rich word. We found a great definition for this word when we studied Philemon back earlier this year, last year, I don't remember when we studied that book, but, but there's a great line in Philemon that, that defines that Greek term, koinonia. It's every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I like that phrase. Every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. It's a great definition of koinonia, so you should write that down. Every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. But it isn't just sharing, like you take half and I'll take ha half. Koinonia actually says we belong to each other. So koinonia is that one another feeling that Jesus kept hammering into his people. So when we talk about giving themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is a thing that the apostles would have taught the, the, the other, these new believers. He, he would have taught them how to love each other, how to be devoted to each other, how to build up each other, how to serve each other, how to be at peace with each other, how to take care of each other. And at the table, this means serving up more than just a meal. It means serving up ourselves. I was so moved by that thought. 
as I consider this early church in fellowship with each other, breaking bread in each other's homes, being in each other's lives. I mean, do you hear what's happening here? I mean, really? They are giving them, listen, they are giving themselves room for feelings. Okay, go ahead and get uncomfortable. I don't know that I have ever, ever, ever preached this before or ever taught this need in exactly this way before, but here's what it means to be together. It, it, it means giving space to develop feelings for each other. It, it, it means giving space to develop compassion for each other. Fellowship is slowing down and listening and being in each other's spaces. I was thinking about, you know, I mean, I was kind of really profoundly moved by this thought, giving space to develop feelings for each other. Wow. So much of what I do as a pastor is, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in your homes as you allow it. Um, I've been in a lot of homes over the years. And I've, I've been in some unusual situations. I mean, last has been a couple decades ago. I remember being invited to this guy's house. And um, he always came to church, kind of rumpled. Um, it was strange, you know, just kind of an odd guy. He invited me to his house after a long time of knowing him. And, and I, I'd, I'd sense there was some sort of call in his life and wanted to talk to him about it. When I got to his house, I discovered something about him I had not known. He was a hoarder, and I'm not talking about a, yeah, yeah, messy house, no. A real hoarder, like a real hoarder. And I'd never been in a hoarder's house before. And um, so, you know, the door might have been as far as from here to that speaker right there. And he cleared out space, about from the door to here, he cleared out enough space for a table. And he put a tablecloth on the table, and he put a candle in the middle of the table, I put a tablecloth on the table, candle in the middle of the table, uh, clean plates, put food on the plates, and he made the space for us to have a meal together in his home. It was deeply moving to me that he had cleared space and he'd had me in his house. And in, I mean this in the most healthy, most loving of ways. I developed feelings for him that day. I, I understood his rumpled shirt. Um, some years later, we had to all of us go over and help him move out of his home when he chose to go to seminary. Um, I remember another time that I went to visit somebody in their home, and when I came in, I was very surprised to find uh, in their living room, in their living room, was this bank of, of hutches. I'm talking about like animal hutches, for, for rabbits and gerbils and, and other things, like 20 or so of these things and a hutch, and it's like bank of hutches in their living room and then cats and dogs running around in there and, and the house was clean, smelled clean, was clean. I was amazed by it, but this like rabbits all looking at me while I was sitting there talking to them and I was, and I was just sort of amazed by this, you know, this house and, and um, really understood this person better 
um, seeing how m in touch they were with their, their love of animals. And so I'm sitting in this chair and I'm getting used to the rabbits and all the other things. And um, all of a sudden, my mom's sitting in the chair, right behind my chair, right behind my chair comes out, not a little one, this is not like a miniature or a baby, a full-grown pig <laughs> comes walking out from behind my chair, walks across the room, there's some steps that lead up onto the sofa, walks up the steps and lays down on the sofa, a pig. Somebody should have told me there was a pig behind my chair. I'm just saying. So heads up, if, there's, if that's in your house, I'd appreciate knowing on the way there. Um, you know, last week, somebody who's hosting on November 7th, I'll say more about that in a few minutes, said to me, I'm nervous. I was sorry somebody signed up to come to my house. I was really hoping nobody would come to my house because I still need my, f I want my floors redone. And I said to that person, if we all wait till our floors get redone, nobody will ever end up going to anybody's house. So I want to tell you this morning, I picked up a bug from my bathroom floor this morning. Okay? So, <laughs> so you can feel comfortable having somebody at your house if you're a host. And, and if we all wait, till it's all just right, you know? Amen. If we all wait till everything's put away, if we all wait till the furniture matches, if we all wait till all of the, I mean, I will, you will never come to my house if all the silverware matches. Is that true? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Evidently not in my house, it's not. It wasn't my mom's house either. Um, the common life, the common life is not, is not this, it's this. It's this. It's, develop, it's, it's space to develop feelings. Fellowship is slowing down and listening, coming in, and, and so for some, it may be present company, I am not speaking to anyone specifically, coming in early or leaving late, or listening to stories, or checking in with somebody. It's more than hugs and high fives. It's a visit. It's a table. And as hard as it, as it is to ask it, there's a question in, in this, uh, I mean, it's, sorry, I um, skipped one, sorry. Someone, <laughs> someone has said that food is a gateway drug. When we start to share food, it's just a, more t a matter of time before we're sharing stories, before we're sharing care and concern, before we become vulnerable. So here's the hard thing, have, as hard as it is to ask this, have we lost the art? And how can we restore this practice so it becomes part of our healing practice? Something we recapture because it can be a sign of the Holy Spirit at work. In fact, can be a unique way the Holy Spirit moves because we've made room for our feelings to surface and for koinonia to take root and for the common life to take hold. So somehow we have to get back into each other's homes and into each other's lives because being at the table together is how we recover our sense of belovedness.
In John chapter 13, the story is told of, the, 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 of Judas, the most notorious rebel in the Bible. Just before Jesus is arrested, all the disciples are there at the table with Jesus, and John tells us the one whom Jesus loved was sitting right next to Jesus on one side. And John is telling this story, and John is referencing John. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. That's how sure he is of his own belovedness. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And so he doesn't, he doesn't see himself primarily as a follower or an apostle or a certain kind of disciple. He sees himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And on the other side of the, at the table, now the other side of Jesus is Judas. So on one side sat John, the one Jesus loved, and on the other side is Judas, who felt like an outsider. On one side, John, who was leaning on grace, and on the other side, Judas, who, who struggled, who lost confidence in grace, who wondered why Jesus was giving money to was, was breaking open the oil of a woman, you know, the, the, the precious, letting a woman break open the precious oil. It could have been spent on poor people. A little too pragmatic. So there at the Last Supper, the two sides, on the two sides of Jesus are two kinds of us, grace and performance. The one Jesus loves and the one who still needs to control things. The one Jesus loves stayed at the table. The one who betrayed him left the table. The way Jesus said it was, you know, what you gotta do, go do it quickly. So the question in the scene is which one are you? Are you the producer or are you the one Jesus loves? Are you the one who uses community to accomplish your agenda or are you here because you are called to a common life as the beloved of God? In other words, are you here with an agenda or are you here because you know yourself as loved? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and of the breaking of bread. So what is breaking of bread? It is spiritual communion. It's both the table with a capital T and the little T tables around which we eat meals together. The early church paid attention to both things and both things mean communion. And, and that's been my big aha as I've meditated on everything that spiritual communion needs to mean for us as a missional community. We want it to be so much more than a rite that's tacked on to the end of a worship service. We want it to be an encounter both with Jesus and with each other. We want it to be a way for families to connect with single people and for young people to connect with older adults and for those with an orphan spirit to connect with the common life and for people to, who need healing to connect with healers. Breaking bread is not a me and Jesus thing. It is a common act for common people living a common life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer because fellowship without prayer is just a social club. 
N.T. Wright says that Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. We carry faith in the supernatural power of God to heal, save, and deliver. And verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe, with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, which is sort of an amazing verse to be sitting in the middle of this scene, right? Because, because here they are, just listening to the apostles teaching and eating at each other's table and breaking bread and praying and somehow in the middle of all that activity, miracles are breaking out. Something in the Something in the common life reveals the uncommon. Something in the common life releases the uncommon. All the believers were together and shared everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Which is to say that we gather with a common spirit. There's so much trust and vulnerability in that thought. Everyone together, everyone in common, everyone's stuff on the table, everyone's needs on the table. There's a lot of trust and vulnerability. It's in this practice of vulnerability and trust that it sets us up to accept the love of God. In other words, if, if we're not feeding each other good and healthy models of relationship, it becomes difficult for us to accept the healing power of God. It becomes difficult to heal those early wounds. So if we wanna heal, we have to get honest and vulnerable in the common life so that our view of God has a chance to form inside community. The place for wounds is inside the community of faith. So we accept a common life, we gather around a common spirit and we enjoy a common table. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is huge, y'all. In the temple and in their homes. In the temple and in their homes. That's the prophetic act I want to emphasize. In the temple and in their homes. That's what we're planning for November 7th, the, the, the family communion day in the temple and in our homes. I want to devote the morning to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread, you know, holy communion, the big tea table and to prayers. And then I want to send you into each other's homes for fellowship, to discover koinonia there, to help you develop feelings for each other there, to give you a little space to develop feelings, to tell stories. That's your whole agenda at the tables. It's just to tell your stories, to enjoy each other. And I want to live the table of Jesus Christ all the way out into our homes. And here's how I envision that happening. Um, you may have heard this last week. If, if so, just have some patience. I wanna share this with you for those of you who haven't heard this. Um, again, so in the pocket in front of you, if you'll pull out this, if you didn't see it already or haven't filled it out already, somewhere near you is a sheet of paper, find it, pull it out. This is your sign-up sheet for your household for November 7th. And it's real easy. On one side, at the, there's, there's, some, there's some explanation, but at the bottom, you're just gonna write your name, 
and, and it's for your household. So you write your name, you write the number of adults, and if you have children, children are welcome in any of the host homes, any of the venues, so we just wanna know if you're gonna bring children with you. So you write, if there's gonna be two adults, write two adults. If there's gonna be three children, write three children, and then turn it over, and on the back, there are 11 host homes or venues listed, and you're gonna circle three options. We're asking you to circle three options um, so we can work with all the signups to make sure every host or venue has the right number of people. One thing to notice as you're circling the three choices, there are actually two potluck options. Um, some, some of these have two stars, some don't. But um, the more household or the more table is a potluck and the Wilkinson's table, the meat is provided potluck sides, okay? The rest of them, the meal is provided for you. And once you've circled your choices, you'll hand this sheet to our worship host as you leave today, and then we'll match you with a place to eat lunch on November 7th, and we'll let you know where you're eating. My goal, listen to me, my goal is for every single person at Mosaic to be eating at, um, on November 7th around the table at somebody's house for lunch. Not too much to ask. This is not brain surgery, right? Not hard. A note to hosts, um, if you're hosting, plan ahead because I want you to be here on Sunday morning. That's the whole thing. So that we're in the temple and in our homes. If 11 people, 11 whole households don't show up, there wouldn't be much left here. So um, I want you to be here too. And on November 7th, here's the plan. There's gonna be one worship service at 10.30. That means that Nine o'clock folks are gonna come a little late, and 11 o'clock folks are gonna come a little early, but that's okay, 11 o'clock people, because it's daylight savings time ends. <laughs> oh wait, we fall forward. No, we fall back, we fall back. So you get an extra, you spring forward, fall back, so you, um, you, you get an extra hour of sleep. So it's almost like it never happened um, to come early. Um, and for some of you, Coming early doesn't matter anyway because you come when you want to come. So, um, um, so we'll have one worship at one worship service at ten thirty, so we can be done before noon, so you can be on your way to your lunch destination. And um, and hosts, if you don't have it all ready by the time they get there, it's okay because we're just going to be in each other's lives. It's okay. So worship on Sunday, November 7th is a way for us to remember the work of Jesus and to be common people. We'll share in Holy Communion and in Koinonia and worship and in fellowship in the temple and in our homes. Why are we doing this? Because I think this is a way we can love each other. And because I believe this is a prophetic act of healing that we can practice together. And because I believe it is a way we can live out what it means to be the church in the temple and in each other's homes. Because it seems odd to me to preach this and not do this. And because as I think about what I want Mosaic to be going forward, I would like to think that maybe this becomes part of our family's liturgy. That maybe this becomes one of the things we do when we share in communion on communion Sundays. When Steve and I packed up um, a U-Haul in 1995, 
packed up on Claire Marie's fourth birthday and we moved to Wilmore, Kentucky for me to go to seminary. It was a risk in a lot of ways. My dad had just passed away the year before and so it meant leaving my mom at a time that was very tender for all of us. And we didn't know a soul in Kentucky. We, <laughs> we had a dog with us and um, it was gonna take two days to get up there and so we had to put our dog in a suitcase in order to get it into the hotel overnight. That was to the person who owns that hotel. I now confess we did that. We rolled into the parking lot of our little townhouse in Wilmore. Four people met us there. I didn't know them at all. I'd never met them before, but they were there to help us unpack and get settled. They were doing it not because they needed anything from us, but because they figured we had needs and they could help. And after they helped us get a truck unloaded, Annette, this wonderful young woman, she told us to get cleaned up and then go to their house for supper. And when we got over there, Annette and, Jen and Jennifer, and that was their names, they, Annette and Jennifer had this amazing meal for us. I can still remember it, it was Mexican food. The table was set with fine china and candles. They lived in an old house in Wilmore, but the table was set with fine china and candles. I could still feel that meal. We felt so loved, remembered, and cared for. I, I have never felt a meal so deeply as I felt that meal. It wasn't that we were special. They hardly knew us. We just happened to be the object of their kindness that lived in them. And they learned to live their kindness out on their table. That's how they lived it. And that day, they were Jesus for us. These two single 20-something women living in an old house. And I don't think I had ever come any closer before then to experiencing the authentic love of Christ. And it happened around a table. That scene in Acts chapter two ends with this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And N.T. Wright's version says it this way. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. That's kind of how it felt for me that day in Wilmore. Like I was, like, like I was being handed a life raft, you know? <laughs> like I was being rescued. I had just left my mama, and we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how we were gonna pay for this. And we were being, that table was a life raft for us. And that's how, that's how the first century followers of Jesus, that's how they saw evangelism. It wasn't getting new members. It wasn't getting the numbers right. It was rescuing people, you know, from death or from, darkness or from starvation or but they brought people around the table it wasn't just you know I need to make sure my floors get done no it was these are dying people these people will die unless I get them onto the life raft I think that's the way we start need to start seeing the common life you get it around. no 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 we need to get them up on the life raft And I'm finding myself, just even as I've been thinking about this lately and thinking about communion, just so deeply moved and 
confessional about it because I don't think I've lived my life this way or lived my house this way, my own table this way. And the last couple of times I've traveled, for some reason, rather than having me in hotels, people have had me in their homes. And it's been really moving to me. Um, in fact, Friday night, I was in somebody's home in Houston. And uh, it was such a privilege and a pleasure to be in these people's homes while I was thinking about this message and walking around this house and let, let this person show me all the things, her art, you know, she paints, and letting her show me her art. And, 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 and they cooked a meal that was just special for me. And it was so sweet. It was so sweet. And then yesterday morning, when I got to the place where I was going to preach, one of my colleagues walked up to me and, and he said, so what are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm, I'm preaching about the gathered body and about, and about, how, uh, about the table and about how you, the common life and, and about how you can't do communion distanced. And he said, well, you know, I've just written an article about online communion and how you can do it online. <laughs> I hadn't remembered that, <laughs> but I had read his article, and I said, yeah, right. Well, let me tell you why I disagree with you. And I told him about what we're going to do on November 7th, and by the time I finished talking to him, he said, we're going to do that at my church. Because there is something really attractive about being in the common life. So I want to ask you to stand And I'm just going to tell you that this is, this is kind of how it is for me right now. I'm just developing feelings. <laughs> I'm just developing feelings. And I'm just going to invite you to develop feelings. You know, just, what do you need right now to develop feelings for the people? Who, have you accepted the common life? Have you accepted it? Have you accepted more than just going to church? Have you accepted the common life? Have you, have you made space to develop feelings for the people with whom you are in community? And do you really understand what it means to be at the table with other people and to, to hear their stories, to love them? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? I mean, the table, the table, which he shared when, you know, when John came and he said, you know, <laughs> he said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, this is my body and my blood poured out for you. And Jesus said that, you know, and Judas got up and walked out. And John said, I am the beloved of God. And do you understand who you are at Jesus' table? All those things. I don't know how to ask that invitation better than that. That's just what I want to ask, though. Have you developed feelings for your community? And have you developed feelings for Jesus? And if you, do you understand the feelings Jesus has developed for you? That you are his beloved. I just don't know if I even begin to touch it. I just don't even know if I have personally begun to touch how deeply Jesus loves me, that I am his beloved. Maybe you need to 
think about that. I don't know if I am holding the world at arm's length right now just because I've gotten way too used to it. And maybe I need to rethink that. Maybe right now is a good time to rethink all of it and to develop feelings for what Jesus feels so deeply about. The church, the table, the people of God, the body of Christ. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.